Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. We're going to try to do something this morning. I toyed with the idea, and Mark convinced me it would work. So if it doesn't work, Mark, it's your fault. Um, Those words may be familiar to you from your camp days or Sunday school or maybe even when we've gathered in worship because there's a little chorus that uses those words in a really fun way. And uh, our numbers are few, uh, but you've been singing really good this morning, so don't let me down now. Uh, We're going to sing the chorus, Rejoice in the Lord Always, and again I say rejoice, okay? Uh, Go ahead and put the words up there. We'll see what it is. Now, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, 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 again I say rejoice. You got the idea, okay? It's a pretty simple chorus, all right? But we're going to make it a little complicated, all right? Uh, Then we really hear joy bubbling all over the place. But what we're going to do is we're going to try to sing it through once, and then we're going to do it as a round. Now, you know what a round is. That's when you start at different points, and you're all singing little conflicting words, but it has a really... What are you doing, wife? You're looking... (laughs) You want to come up here and help me? (laughs) No, I didn't think so. Uh, I don't want to be here either. Uh, (laughs) It worked in camp, okay? It's got to work here, all right? Now, rejoice in the Lord always, all right? We're we're going to do it. And we'll go through it four times. I mean, mean, four sections, okay? Yeah, that way that works, all right? And what we'll do, we'll sing it once. Let's just do it once so we can learn it first, all right? Ready? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. All right. Easy, right? All right. Good, good. All right. We're going to have four sections, all right? Your section one, your section two. Your section three, and your section four. All right, we're going to put you guys over here. We ought to put half of them over here, right? But we'll do it. One, two, three, four. We can do it. All right, now what we do, we'll, I'll start you, and then I'll start you, and I'll start, you know, right down. You got it, right? We're going through it twice. All right, are we good? All right, well, then let's do it. Ready? Just this section start. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Was that cool? Yeah, all right. All right. Oh, I love it. I'm so glad you talked me into it, Mark. Good job. All right, all right. Well, <laughs> that is a fun, that really sounded good. We, that's really good. Now, now, we have sung it, okay? 
We have sung it, but can we really do it? Ooh. Now we're going to notch it up a little further. Can we really do what we just sang about? Can we really rejoice always? Can we really rejoice all the time, in every place, in every circumstance? You know, it's easy to do so at church, but can we do it at home, at school, at work, in traffic? <laughs> can we rejoice even in the midst of sorrow and pain? Now, we realize that Paul is a prisoner in Rome awaiting Nero's verdict as he writes what we refer to as his letter of joy. And we've even noted that the theme of this letter is, I'm rejoicing in my circumstances, are you? Still, he's asking a lot of us. Actually, he's not asking He's commanding it. He writes in the present imperative tense, commanding us to keep on rejoicing all the time. But can a feeling like joy really be commanded? No. Feelings can't be commanded. But just because the feeling of joy is beyond our control... Rejoicing is not. We may not feel joy in all circumstances, but that must not keep us from rejoicing. We should always be able to find a reason to rejoice. So where do we find it? Obviously, we find it in the Lord. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. But what does that mean? It doesn't simply mean we are to rejoice in church, you know, in religious worship and celebrations. That should come naturally. And Paul, Paul wouldn't have to command us to do that. When he tells us to rejoice in the Lord, he's reminding us of the reason for our joy, not telling us where to rejoice. In fact, when writing to the Thessalonians, he tells us to rejoice always and in everything give thanks, but then adds that doing so is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. If we are in Christ Jesus and he is in us, God expects us to rejoice always. And we can rejoice in the Lord always. If we'll remember that he is near, we know that he answers prayer, and we let the peace that he gives guard our hearts and minds. And Paul makes those very points in our text for today. After commanding us, rejoice in the Lord always again. I'll say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. Now, we're going to jump over the forbearing spirit for a moment and simply note that we are to rejoice because the Lord 
is near. The Lord is at hand. And that can refer to a couple aspects of Christ's nearness. First, it can mean the Lord's coming is near. Paul may be referring to the second coming. And if we are ready, that is certainly a reason for rejoicing. Always. We long for His coming. And we know that He can come at any moment. If we'll just keep that in mind, we can rejoice in any circumstance. Even when things aren't going well, even when facing situations that don't produce joyous feelings, we can rejoice in the fact that Jesus is coming and that He could come at any moment. You know, what we're going through now won't last forever. In fact, it may very well end in the twinkling of an eye. Remember that when you're in the midst of a struggle. Even before the struggle comes to completion in your expectation, Christ could come back. That can bring us rejoicing even in the midst of what we're experiencing at the moment. We can always rejoice in what's coming. For as I've quoted to you many times, whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared to the magnificent future God has planned for us. If we'll remember that, we can rejoice anytime, any place. In any circumstance, nothing can take that joy away from us. And Paul may very well be reminding us of that fact when he says the Lord is near. Or he may be simply reminding us that we're not alone. That the Lord is near. He's here with us now. He hasn't abandoned us. We've not been orphaned by our Heavenly Father We may not feel it, but He is here. The omnipresent, ever-present Lord is near. No matter what's happening, we can rejoice in the fact that the Lord is near. He is present with us, going through whatever it is we're going through with us. How can we not rejoice in the presence of our Creator, our Heavenly Father, our Savior, For as the psalmist said, in thy presence is fullness of joy. If we can remember that he's near, we can handle anything. We can keep on rejoicing. And because we know he's near, we can not only put up with anything, we can put up with anyone. We can demonstrate a forbearing spirit to all men. How long have we been, or how often have we been robbed of joy because of conflicts we're having with people? Quite often, I'm, I'm sure. What was it that put you into a bad mood most recently? Chances are it's a conflict you had with someone. So how Do we avoid joy-killing conflicts? We develop a forbearing spirit. And what is a forbearing spirit? Well, the word that Paul used here 
is very hard to translate adequately. It refers to a non-defensive attitude, a yieldedness, a willingness to give up what we want for the sake of someone else. It's been translated kindness, gentleness, patience, magnanimity, moderation, big-heartedness, generosity, considerateness, and charitableness, as well as forbearance. No one word really expresses the fullness of the idea, but if we put them all together, we get the idea. If we sense the nearness of Christ, His coming and His presence we'll be able to give up the little battles that sometimes seem so important, the battles that rob us of joy. We'll be able to demonstrate a forbearing spirit in everything. And as our forbearing spirit is made known to all men, they will lose their power to rob us of joy. We won't let them. They can have their way. We can keep our joy. We're not going to worry about the small stuff because the Lord is near. In fact, we're not going to worry about anything. We don't have to because not only is he near, he answers prayer. Paul goes on. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, nothing robs us of joy quicker than anxiety. We have a conflict with someone and we get anxious about running into them somewhere. Something goes wrong and we get anxious that it's going to get worse. Even when things are going right, we worry that it can't last. We worry, we fret, we stew. We lose our joy because we're anxious about the future. Someone has defined worry as interest paid on a problem before it's due. We anticipate the worst and start worrying about it. How, how foolish. How foolish to worry when we have a God who loves us and who cares for us. A God who is near, who is here, who is with us. A God who is present, who's involved, who acts. A God who answers prayer. Why worry when we can pray? Why not just take our concerns to the Lord? Indeed, the antidote for anxiety is prayer. Paul says, be anxious for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If you're worried about something, ask God for help. Surely he's bigger than your problem. In fact, Paul told us he'd work everything out for us. He told us God would cause all things to work together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purposes. If we're committed to His purpose, if we're content 
to have his will done, there's nothing to worry about. He can handle it. And he will. The big things and the little things. Everything. We can take everything to the Lord in prayer. How foolish to hang on to our worries when we've got a God who wants to take them away. As the song says, take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Trust that he'll take care of it. Take your anxieties to the cross and leave them at his feet. Recognize that anxiety is nothing more than a lack of faith in what he's done and what he's promised to do for you. If you're anxious, confess your lack of faith. Then ask that your faith be strengthened and let your requests be made known. Never forget that He wants us to make our requests known. He loves to hear from us. We're not bothering Him. Paul tells us to let our requests be made known by prayer and supplication. Prayer is a general word that includes all elements of talking with God. Supplication specifies the asking. Go ahead and ask. And trust that he will answer. And ask with thanksgiving. Express thanks for what he's done in the past and thank him for what he's going to do. We know his will for us is good. And we've been assured that he will answer our prayer according to his good will for us. So even if we don't get what we think we need or want, we're confident. What he does in response to our request is good and acceptable and perfect. We can thank him in advance for answering our prayer. And if we'll do that, we'll have reason to rejoice. There's absolutely no need for us to let anxiety rob us of joy. Not when we have a God who answers prayer. God who therefore gives us peace. And let the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If we sense the nearness of the Lord and take our concerns to Him in prayer, He gives us peace. And when we're, we can rejoice. Now, do realize, however, that the peace God offers is not the absence of conflict. We live in a fallen world, and conflict is going to be an experience we face. The peace of God is the absence of anxiety. That's the peace of God. It's a sense of well-being, eternal well-being. When we sense the presence of the Lord and we trust that He's answering our prayers and that He's promised to care for our needs, we will be at peace. In fact, we'll have a peace 
that those who don't know the Lord will be unable to understand. A peace that passes, surpasses all comprehension. A peace that passeth all understanding. A peace that apart from Him would never make sense. A peace that comes from knowing everything's going to be okay. A peace that transcends our problems. A calm that sustains us in the midst of the storm. A peace that comforts both our heart and our head. Paul does say the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. Not only will we be able to tell ourselves everything will be all right, we'll actually be able to believe it. If we're at peace with God. And we're experiencing the peace of God, we can rejoice all the time, in every place, in every circumstance, even in sorrow, even when walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Nothing, nothing can take away our joy, not if we're in the Lord. And nothing will keep us from rejoicing if we'll just remember That He is near. We know that He answers prayer. And we will let the peace He gives guard our hearts and our minds. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. If you are in the Lord and the Lord is in you, give evidence to the wonderful change that He's wrought in your life. Don't worry. Be happy. Let's stand and sing.